Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Will you pray with me? Spirit, we pause. We open our hearts. We open our minds. May your spirit hatch our hearts open that we hear the right word for the living of our journey. Amen. So we're continuing our uh, sermon series, connecting Monday night spiritual nurture with the Sunday morning service as we think about the hero's journey, looking at uh, Joseph Campbell's work on the hero of a thousand faces, as well as uh, our life story around heroes, and then looking at the religious tradition. How do they connect together? Last week, we looked at hero and the acronym H for heart, the beginning of the word uh, or letter in the word hero. And uh, we looked at the importance of heart and how heart's at our core. Heart speaks about our values. There's a sense of vulnerability and realness and a sense of leading from our heart, Jane would have invited us to think about. I also then moved theologically and biblically to looking at the heart in scripture a thousand times it is mentioned, different ways in which the heart is talked about. And the heart isn't a hallmark uh, card, uh, but it combines the intellect and it combines wisdom and, in fact, the truest self. And then we talked toward the end of the sermon about how the the role of God is to hatch our hearts open and that it is in the thin places that this happens. And, And you know this because it is in the thin places of art and music and poetry and nature that our hearts are warmed and hatched and grounded and who we are in the wonder of the world. We also talked about how the church can be a thin place through scripture and story and silence and song. Our hearts are warned and hatched about who our true purpose is on the hero's journey. And so now we move to uh, the second letter, E, enthusiasm. So when we think about enthusiasm, Jane, who's a, a tennis coach and a leader and leadership, says so often to her uh, clients, we have to have a positive mindset. We have to have an enthusiastic uh, way of living and working if we're going to succeed in our sporting. When I play uh, paddle with Jane, often she'll stop me in the game and she'll say, be here now. And she reminds me to pay attention. She'll say, I can play with you and I know when you're daydreaming. And when you're daydreaming, your game goes off. She says, you know, when you're Be here now, you're paying attention to what's before you. And that's so important. And it touches in to enthusiasm. Isn't it so true that when we're daydreaming, it's hard to be in competition or in conversation or in contemplation? Being present matters. Being present and focused matters. Sometimes it is in those sporting activities or artistic endeavors that we get lost in time because we're paying such great attention. It's almost like a mind cleanse, I find, when I've had a good workout or a good ride or a good game. When I'm totally focused, I come off the court or off my bike with a sense of refreshment and renewal. And it's enthusiastic as I do it. A writer this week says this about the world we're living in. For many people today, we live in a disenchanted universe about meaning, purpose, or direction. We are only aware of what's not. 
Seldom do we enjoy what is. Probably it is only healthy religion that has prepared to answer that question. Healthy religion is an enthusiasm about what is, not an anger about what isn't. Healthy religion is an enthusiasm about what is, not an anger about what isn't. Isn't that so? There was a great clip we saw this week about Halloween, about how some kids came up, uh, uh, upon a problem. They, they showed up in front of a house to receive candy and the bowl was empty. Now they could have focused on what isn't, but instead they responded with what is. Have a look at this clip that shows us children's ability to respond to what is. One day after the big Halloween haul, one Northwest community is singing the praises of a few thoughtful trick-or-treaters. You, you, you ran out of candy. Here, I'll leave some. And that's exactly what these 10-year-olds, Reese Lucas, his twin brother Tucker and Ryder did at this house in Silver Springs, not knowing that it was all caught on security camera and shared online in a post gushing about their thoughtfulness. And in case you can't make it out in the video, young Reese is actually dressed up as Santa. And it was his sack of candy that they're pulling treats out of. So what exactly did they leave behind? And remember, it's the thought that counts. There's no candy. We need to fix that. So I put candy in there. I think we left a chip bag and uh, a lollipop and the arrow. Sharing is caring. And, and if you don't share, the world won't become a better place. You can like fill other people's bucket. Like it's what I mean by fill other people's bucket is like making their day good. The boys say they are surprised of all the attention they are getting online, and they hope this small act of kindness will rub off on others. Isn't that amazing? I, I don't think I would have done that. I think I might have, that neighbor would have been called, you know, a Grinch who stole Halloween or something like that. I, I'm not sure I would have been as grounded to what is or decided there's a response that I could make like these kids did. Often kids are so much better and wiser than us when they respond to difficult situations. They problem solved with what is and found a great way to share with others. That's the thing about being present to what is and problem solving. You know, as we think about enthusiasm, some people will say it's kind of surface level or a call to be happy clappy or in denial of what's going on in the world. And that's not what we're talking about. It's actually deeply grounded. There was a fabulous article I came across this week in The Atlantic. The Atlantic has so many awesome articles. Here's the article, it's called The Opposite of Toxic Positivity. The Opposite of Toxic Positivity. It begins, tragic optimism is the search for meaning during the inevitable tragedies of human existence and is better for us than avoiding darkness and trying to stay, stay positive. So often these days, people are bumping into people who are trying to be happy, clappy, always look on the bright side of life, denial about the darkness and the difficulty of this COVID pandemic. And this article talks about how toxic positivity can be a real problem and invites us to tragic optimism. The author writes, the antidote to 
toxic positivity is tragic optimism, a phrase coined by the existential humanist psychologist and Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl. He wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning, I read many years ago. Tragic optimism involves the search for meaning amidst the inevitable tragedies of human existence, something far more practical and realistic during these difficult times. The article goes on to remind us that it is important in these difficult days to say they're difficult days, to engage in conversation with others about how we really are, what's really going on, the challenges we've had, rather than denying them or just simply smiling and getting through. There is a call in enthusiasm to a realness, a call to depth, a call to honesty about what's really going on. I don't know about you, but that's so important in my life to have people I can talk to about how I really am, how I'm really feeling. And there's a cleansing and an honesty through those tears to say how my heart's been broken and how their heart has been broken when we're honest. You don't come away worse, you actually come away lifted up, enthused for your journey. So on Monday evening, my job was to say, okay, we've got the, the newspaper in one hand, how do we put the Bible in the other with this talk of enthusiasm? Enthusiasm really isn't a big word in the scriptures. It's not in the gospels. It's a few times in the letters of Paul. But the word enthusiasm has a great origin. The word enthusiasm is entheos, in God. The word enthusiasm means in God, to be inspired, to be connected to God. So when we say someone is enthusiastic, we're, we're actually using a religious word to say they're actually in God. There's a deep connection to their core, to what matters to them, and it comes out of their being, and we get a glimpse of it. You see, enthusiasm in God means we're connecting to our soul, to our values, and to be in God. Well, what does it mean to be in God, you say? How does that work? 20th century Trappist monk Thomas Merton writes these words, a summary of a lot of his teaching, and it's about being in God. Hear this short paragraph. He writes, life is simple. We are in a world that is absolutely transparent. It's like a thin place. And God is shining through it all the time. This is not just a fable or a nice story. It's true. If we abandon ourselves to God and forget ourselves, we see it sometimes, and we may even see it frequently. God shows us and shows up everywhere, in everything, in people and in things and in nature and events. It becomes obvious that God is everywhere and in everything, and we cannot be without God. You see, it is simple. The only thing is we often don't see it. Thomas Merton is inviting us to be here right now, to have eyes open, heart open to what is present to us right now. To be here right now is to be enthusiastic. As we work through our uh, Monday evening, we looked at the sense of the hero's journey and what does it mean to be present to ourselves right now in this call? What does it mean to be enthusiastic? as we journey.
What does it mean to answer our call? The word vocation actually means to be called. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers, says when you're trying to figure out who you are and where you are, look at your feet because your feet tell you who and what's important to you because they take you there. In another place, he writes these words, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's what it means to answer your call, to look at what is at the core of your gladness and the core of the world's hunger. I saw this just 10 days ago when I led a funeral outside at Edinburgh. The family gathered as they gave thanks for their mother who had died. And one of the people in the circle said, what I'm most thankful for or grateful for for mom was she was someone who reminded us that we matter. She would often say, you matter and look us in the eye. She said, mom lived a very difficult life with a partner who was an alcoholic who when they went bankrupt in their time struggled and she returned to school and then returned to work. But through all the highs and lows of life, she was someone who stood by her children and reminded them with two simple words, you matter. That's actually taking your deep gladness and the deep hunger we all have to be reminded we matter. And that was the gift that she gave her children. You see, the sense of call is something each and every one of us go on. We're in it, perhaps, right now. And it's centered around, for Christians, the person of Jesus. In the scripture that Christy read a few moments ago, we get a sense of this call. It begins each of the Gospels. It begins with the baptism of Jesus, the call where Jesus is baptized. He he goes down to the Jordan and is baptized by John. He goes down under the water and out of the water, symbolically, death and resurrection. It is there that we hear the, the words, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And that knowing and that reminder when we see the sacrament of baptism, a thin place, we're reminded we are loved, all of us. And we hear those words, the words God calls to each one of us, you are loved. You are forgiven, you are set free. That's what I desire for you. And so that's the call of Jesus. And then it moves, as you heard, right into the scriptures where he moves from that beautiful place of being loved right into the wilderness. In Mark's gospel, the the story goes, he was driven to the wilderness by the Spirit. The Spirit drove him. But in this text, Jesus goes from the baptism right to the wilderness, which is an archetype for the COVID experience, the liminal space, for the, for the unknown, for, for the, the darkness and the confusion of the wilderness. And it's there that who does Jesus meet but the devil, or in this text, Satan. If you had time and you Google up what Satan means, it actually means adversary. So anything that comes against or across our path that blocks it is Satan. It's not the people that we saw knocking at our door the other night in red outfits with pitchforks. Adversaries are those satanic forces that come before us that seem to block our path and block our way. And there's this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Satan where Jesus is tempted 
by hunger and by power. And you see in this wilderness story, Jesus is trying to discern for himself, what am I going to do with the power that I have? What I love in this story is that it ends with this phrase, Satan or the devil left him to return at an opportune time. You see, it's not a once-off. We're often facing these adversaries on our journey. But Jesus defeats, if you will, Satan and moves on in his ministry. And all of his ministry post-wilderness is to invite people to think about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God. Jesus is always providing visions of what it looks like when God's in charge. If Jesus was handed a job description, it would say, tell people about the kingdom of God. And so all the stories that Jesus tell, all the parables are all about what it looks like when things are overturned and God is in charge. So Jesus enters into his three-year ministry to tell this vision, to bump up against adversaries all the way along, to bump up against Satan all the way along on his hero's journey. And ultimately, it comes to a surrender, the cross, where Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then ultimately death. But then not the last word is death, but resurrection and new life. And it is from that place that the journey begins again. New life, new beginning, born from above, as I said last week. So you see, Jesus as an archetypal figure uh, whose hero's journey is yours and mine. If we're aware, we are all at different places along this hero's journey, and we do it over and over and over again, all the way along in our life journey. You see, the hero's journey is mine and yours, and is indeed institutional. It is indeed a corporate story. We're right now, as we hear about the leaders meeting in Scotland, as a as a corporate humanity looking at the journey that we're all on sharing the same planet. Where are we at on that journey? How will we all survive through this humanity and the planet together? The hero's journey is both personal and corporate. All right, you're saying, could you make this real, please? I want to close with a story that speaks to me about call and journey and how this particular institution, the church, can encourage us along the way. You've heard this story that I've told you before. It's a story I learned about a number of years ago about a woman named Lily. You see, Lily was back in the 50s. This is, uh, you know, pre-dating sites, pre-computers. The only way to meet a partner was to show up at the town dance. Well, you see, Lily was at a dance in Edmonton, and she met a guy named Bill. Now, Bill lived in a farm an hour north of Edmonton, and he came to the dance, and they met, and they danced and got to know each other over time, and finally they were engaged, and then they were married. And Lily moved from the city to the farm. There, being on the farm, she wants to get in good with the people there, and in particular with her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law needed a ride to the local United Church uh, to work on the UCW, United Church Women's Work. She said, I'll take you. And so Lily would, the first Tuesday of the month, get in the truck and drive her mother-in-law, drop her off at the church and come back at nine o'clock and pick her up. But one night when she showed up to this uh, church to take her home, she's sitting outside and she can see the lights on the church and it's 10 after, it's quarter after, 
Finally, she goes and knocks on the door and opens the door. And there's a group of women at the table and they say, Lily, we're so glad you're here. We've got a job for you. Lily kind of puts her heads down and they say, we need somebody to be a secretary for our meeting, to take the minutes and then to read them. Lily put her head down and just said, I can't do that. You see, Lily had a stutter because she was abused by her father, always telling her she was dumb and stupid and wouldn't amount to anything. And her self-esteem was so low, her vision of herself was so low that she developed a stutter. Meanwhile, someone at the table said, that's okay, you come and write it down, I'll read it to the entire group. The church is often good at finding a way to have people fit in. So sure enough, Lily came to the meeting and Month after month, she would write it off and hand it to someone and they would read it out to the whole group until the night came when that person wasn't there. And Lily was about to hand it off and they said, no, you wait, we'll wait, you read the minutes. And so slowly she began to read the minutes. And month after month after month, finally, her stutter disappeared because of the encouragement and enthusiasm and support and attention of that time. Well, what was amazing about Lily's story is it didn't end there. As her journey continued, she did not, decided as an adult to get her degree from the university. And so she did an online course at Athabasca University. And once she got her Bachelor of Arts degree, she thought, you know what? I feel called into ministry. And then she journeyed to St. Andrew's College in Saskatoon to be a minister. And then in the church's wisdom, the strangest of all things, they took her from that university education right back to Pickardville, where she was from, to be the minister in that church. Do you see in this story about how there's call and difficulty and challenge and learning and being born again and renewed back into the very same place to be a teacher. Lily had a hero's journey. Lily was present to the moment and God was everywhere in that story. So you see, enthusiasm means in God. And I believe that God is in me and you and indeed all around us. And when we pay attention, God will be present to us. God will lift us, hold us, heal us, and help us to walk anew. May this be so for you and I this day and always. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.